Yo, everybody, how's it going? It's your man, Damien, and we're back with the sixth episode of the Dame's Dropback Podcast. Today, I'm joined by some very special guests, some folks that I have a ton of respect for and absolutely love what they do. All four of us contribute over there at Riggles Rag. So without further ado, Jacob, Ian, Connor, how are y'all doing today? Doing good, good, man. Good to be on. Good to be on with you boys. Good to see you, Dame, as always. Thanks for having me on. And Ian, Jacob, always good to see you guys. <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, you know, almost interrupted Connor there, but this is um, <laughs> I, uh, excited to get going today. Talk about some Washington football team. This is actually my uh, podcast debut, so excited. To get I was going to say, Jacob, is this your first rodeo? Is oh yeah, first yes, rodeo. Sir. That's lit. Yes, low expectations, low expectations. That's the way I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I'm doing good too. Uh, these aren't my favorite Rigos Rag Riders, but you know what? I'll do a podcast. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm busting your shops now. I always love to talk with you guys. Always good to get back together and, uh, you know, kind of chop it up. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, now this is the first time I've ever actually like seen y'all in, you know, over a screen before. Normally it's all through Twitter and I can only see an Abby. So that's pretty dope. Uh, I'm really, really excited though. Thank y'all for joining me. You know, I'm stoked to have y'all. Uh, this is going to be dope. You know, the show is going to be interesting to say the least. Uh, I haven't had this many guests on at once. So uh, I'm pretty excited to see, you know, the difference in opinion and just kind of hear what you have to say. Uh, before we get into it, though, for the listeners, uh, we have about six topics we're going to hit on. So we're going to get into this pretty quick. Uh, before we begin, boys, uh, let the listeners know where to find y'all so they can give you all a quick follow before we discuss things all Washington football team. Yeah, I guess I'll uh, I'll, I'll just drop my uh, my Twitter handle. I'm, I'm Iconoforce underscore, also the host of the After Further Review podcast. You can find that kind of wherever you get podcasts as well. And then Riggo's Rag, um, you'll find me. Iconoforce underscore is where you'll find all the info. None of my writing or speaking is good. The, my podcast sucks, but honestly, subscribe it. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I had Ian on. I definitely looking forward. I'm definitely going to get Dame on there and uh jacob definitely want to get you on as well so uh, but yeah after further review pod and kind of force underscore on twitter that's where you find me yeah, you can find me on twitter at jp troutman 2020 it's kind of a mouthful but get me over 100 followers that's what we gotta do and you can find me again on Rigo's rag that's all on my twitter and you can find me there yes get him over 100 followers my goodness let's make it happen and then you can <laughs> find me at ian underscore cummings underscore nine uh Rigo's rag and then i also write for pfm 365 uh, i'm actually kind of in the thick of pre-draft season right now i've got a few draft profiles completed uh this week i i, I think i finished i finished Brees hall yesterday and i'm working on a couple others so you can find draft content there as well yeah i'm super excited i look forward to that kind of stuff too from you Ian. that's going to be dope um Let's get right into this, though, and I'm going to start with you, Ian. So for the first time in many years, you know, the Washington football team, they have a bunch of hype surrounding the team uh, from, you know, national media members, local reporters. You know, I don't remember the last time it's been, you know, this this team has been this, you know, really talked about and hyped in, in a positive light. You know what I mean? Uh, so do you or do y'all in general, do y'all buy into the potential repeat as NFC East champions? Honestly, I could definitely see it happening. Uh, you look at the NFC East right now. The Eagles are kind of in shambles, so we can forget about them a little bit. Now, I, I do think like Nick Sirianni, he did some good work with Indianapolis, but it's going to take a few years, and Jalen Hurts, I'm not sold on him. Uh, the Giants, they actually have a strong roster, but again, Daniel Jones, what's, what's going to happen with him? And he hasn't really progressed on a linear path to this point, so I'm not super sold on him being able to elevate that roster as well. So they're kind of one of those middling teams, too. I think the biggest threat for Washington, if they're trying to repeat, is definitely Dallas. Uh, as bad as Dallas's defense was, and they still need to improve a little bit more, uh, Dak Prescott is coming back. And he was a top-five quarterback before he got injured last year. He was on pace for, I think, over 6,000 yards passing, which is just insane. Uh, so he was really putting up good numbers, but he's also just one of the most talented, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And he has a ton of weapons. So I think 
that's going to be a juggernaut matchup, that Cowboys offense versus the Washington defense. But looking at the Washington football team's roster, you know, there aren't a ton of holes outside of quarterback, which, I mean, I think we can all agree that Ryan Fitzpatrick is a big step up from a mix of Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith, and, and uh, Kyle Allen uh, from last year. So even there, even though Fitzpatrick doesn't create a sustainable competitive advantage, is still an upgrade from what they had. And then on top of that, the defense is stacked. The offense, they added weapons in the receiving core. I think that there is a valid chance that they can repeat. It's just the Cowboys are kind of the big wild card there because Dak Prescott, when he's healthy and when he's on, uh, there are very few teams that can go toe-to-toe with him. Yeah, and we're going to definitely touch on Fitzpatrick later, but uh, that's something I can't wait to you know get into that. That's going to be that's going to be some interesting stuff. Uh, go ahead, Jacob and Connor. Uh, let me know what y'all think. You know, Do y'all think this team – you know? has the potential to repeat, and do y'all think they will? Yeah, I certainly think they can. I mean, you see, they were where they, they had a really uh, depleted offense last year, and they still were almost 500. They won seven games last year, and they had a good offseason. I think they improved the holes they needed to improve. You know, they got Curtis Samuel to bolster the wide receiver room, Diami Brown in the in the draft. They uh, I think they improved the, the corner room because I think William Jackson's a step up over – Ronald Darby, and then you look at the NFC East, I think it's really close between three teams, the Cowboys, I mean, Washington, of course, and then um, the Giants. So I think it's really close between those three teams. And while I wouldn't say Washington's the favorite, simply because Dallas has the most valuable player in the division, and um, that could bolster them in the in the division games. And Dallas usually has one of those years where they win like 12 to 13 games. I think this could be one of those years. So I wouldn't say that they're, they're the favorite simply because also of the history of that's never happened before to repeat champions in a really long time. But I do think it is certainly possible. And I think, I mean, there's no reason they can't because they do have one of the most complete rosters in the NFL besides the quarterback, I think. And Connor, what, how are you feeling about this? Yeah, no, it's it's a really great question. It's I, I actually so I had Grant Paulson from 1067, the fan on my podcast last week. I, I actually asked him this exact question. Um, and his answer was really similar to what mine is. And, and and really to me, it comes down to what Dallas is on defense, right? It it just feels like you know, with the weapons they have on offense, they've got just all the potential in the world. That defense is just the only question mark. You know, Washington obviously has kind of the opposite problem, right? Their defense butters the bread, but but offensively it's kind of a wait and you know, wait and see game. So I do think the biggest barrier for Washington repeating the division uh, is going to end up being the schedule, to be totally honest with you. You know, finishing uh, seven and nine last year in, in a bad division, you know, it was exciting for the fan base. And in my opinion, obviously, it was a good thing for the franchise as a whole. But I do think it provides a kind of a unique disadvantage this year um, with the 17th game and, and with, you know, Dallas, Philadelphia, New York all having easier schedules. Um, I think it's going to be an uphill climb, to be honest with you, for Washington. But look, Brian Fitzpatrick's an upgrade, regardless of how you feel about him, uh, in comparison to what they had last year. Um, and the receiver group, you know, it went from being an actual detriment to a legit strength now for the team. So, um, look, I generally do expect uh, an improvement. Um, I expect actually a big improvement this year. But um, my answer to the question is going to be no for right now, just because I feel like the schedule is just much tougher. I love, love, love to be wrong about this. But I do think the schedule provides kind of a unique disadvantage for them this year with that 17th game. You get that first place, um, you know, you're playing against better teams. Um, and I do think Dallas uh, provides that kind of star power that if their defense does show up and does improve, I think they're going to give Washington the hardest time. But like I said, man, I, I'd love to be wrong about this for sure. Yeah, in my opinion, I I mean, I can see the potential for a repeat, um, but like y'all mentioned as well, I just think it's kind of going to be tough, um, especially considering, I mean, although Fitzpatrick is an upgrade, that's for sure. There's still plenty of uncertainty around him as well. 
Um, so I definitely don't think it's a lock. Now, I do think they can, uh, but, I mean, I don't know. With Especially with Dallas, you know, they're going to be playing, you know, that third-place schedule. I don't know if, you know, with Washington playing the first-place schedule, I can definitely see six, seven, eight wins just right now looking at it. You know what I mean? So uh, while I'm not fully, like, you know, on board, like, oh, my God, they're going to do it, I can see them doing it. I'd say it's kind of just like 50-50. Um, I'm not really too hot or too cold on the possibility, but I buy into the potential for sure. Uh, you know, and one reason why, you know, you know, this group has been, you know, described as ascending, um, especially essentially because, you know, of how good this, this defense really is, um, you know, seemingly, you know, it seems like they're going to get better with the guys, uh, with guys like Landon Collins and Matt, you know, I and is coming back. Uh, so I'll ask, you know, out of Landon and Matt, who will have the bigger impact this season and why? And I want to go ahead and start with Connor on this one. Yeah, so uh, another good question. I mean, I, I definitely think they'll both play a really big part in this defense. Obviously, Landon coming back from you know Achilles injury is kind of a big thing to come back from. But I think he obviously provides a unique run stopping ability with the size uh, as a safety. And you know, Matt is obviously uh, just a, a bulldozer. Um, I think what makes uh, Matt more impactful in my mind is just who he'll be helping out. Um, Look, I think when you're on the line with Deron Payne and, and John Allen, it just makes life so much easier, right? It makes life easier for you. You're able to attack guys one-on-one in ways that probably wouldn't be possible um, if, you know, he was a one-man show. Um, and vice versa, I think he he helps Deron Payne and John Allen do their job just that much better. But um, I think, you know, people forget his productivity. I mean, in 2019, he had as many sacks as Khalil Mack. I mean, so, you know, you can count on him to produce himself. But I think what you're going to see in terms of his impact is in two ways. You're going to see him produce himself. Um, you're going to see those sack numbers. You're going to see the disruption. He's great at collapsing the pocket. He's, he's I mean, he has as an interior or outside. I mean, he lines up as a D end, as you know, an interior nose tackle. I mean, he kind of does it all, um, but you're going to see him as well. Help the people behind him. Um, for one, he takes attention away from John Allen, Deron Payne, but he's going to make life so much easier for Jamin Davis to show off his speed at linebacker. Um, you'll see Cole Holcomb. You'll see John Bosick. You'll see Jamin Davis all benefit from his production. And I think you're going to see, obviously that speed is just going to be that much more impactful. Um, that's what the linebacker core for this team has struggled with for so long. You know, you go back to, I mean, go back years and years. I mean, the last five, six years, we really haven't had a speedy linebacker. I think that's what Jamin Davis gives you. And I think they benefit from having a strong defensive line. So him coming back is going to be huge. Um, they're going to improve in a big way. And their run defense, I think, is going to be the biggest thing that improves uh, with Matt returning and those linebackers being able to show off their speed. And that obviously was a massive, massive weakness last year and in recent years here in Washington. So fans should really, really be excited about his return. Yeah, and no, I agree. And I'd love to hear what Ian and Jacob have to say about that, too, because, man, there's a lot there's a lot of room to grow with this defense. So like you mentioned, with guys like Jamin, uh, Landon and Matt coming back. I mean, everyone hates Landon Collins, apparently, you know, in, in you know, Washington football team Twitter. Uh, but I still think there's ways that they could use them, uh, you know, and, and still play them to the strengths. So, Ian and Jacob, let me know what y'all think about that as well. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I would probably lean Matt Ioannidis if I had to pick one just because, you know, the the, the interesting thing with Landon Collins is, you know, Ioannidis, when he got injured, he's coming back, he's going to have a role, right? Landon Collins, when he got injured, Cameron Curl took a spot, and Curl played very well uh, for a seventh-round rookie. And I, I personally think that Curl was better – over his stretch than Collins was in that role last year. Personally, I, I think he provided better quality play. I think he has more upside to this point. And with Collins coming back from a torn Achilles, that's a sketchy injury to come back from. You know, it really can impact your explosiveness. So I'm really interested to see how he fares with that. 
I, I don't dispute that he's going to have a role moving forward. The question is, how is he going to fit? I think there's, you can say there's a clearer answer with Ioannidis because he is such a valuable pass rushing catalyst. You can just put him right back into that rotation. And with Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Tim Settle, who, who had some flashes last year, that's a fearsome unit. Uh, with, with Landon Collins, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I'm not as sure how he would fit into there because you do have Cameron Cole coming back at strong safety. Curl is very versatile, right? So you could put him in the slot too. He is a very good big slot as well. So with that mix and matchability, I, I don't discount that Collins is going to have a role as a box safety. You can put him in there. You can provide value there, but I'm not sure he's as versatile. And coming off of the injury, there are more questions there too. So I'm not sure. I think I would go with Ioannidis. I, I want to see more from Collins and how he returns in preseason, how he you know acclimates with that injury coming back from that. And, you know, in the, you know, from the start, he wasn't the most versatile player. And there have been reports like there were reports like maybe he's going to switch the linebacker and those got shot down, which I think his skill set fits in the box and really not much else. So I personally, I think Ioannidis provides more value coming back, but it is nice to have an experienced guy like Collins who has produced in the box as a good run stopper, like Connor said, and having those chess pieces that you can mix and match is always valuable, especially in the secondary. I think it's pretty close too, but I would also lean Matt, Matt Ioannidis because um, I think one of the most valuable um, assets a defense can have is if they have guys who can generate pressure from the interior, and that that just cause that just makes everything else easier because if Matt Mac generates pressure, which is I mean I think he's one of the best at what he does in the NFL of creating pressure from the interior, the defensive line, he does that, and that makes it so much easier for guys like Chase Young and Montez Sweat to generate pressure as the quarterbacks are scrambling to the outside. And they're so huge that like they I don't, not many quarterbacks can get away from Montez Sweat and Chase Young. I mean, they're just big, they're just different athletes. So that, I mean, that'll help them as well, as well as helping out Allen and Payne, taking away some pre, um, attention from them. And I think Ioannidis is going to have a ton of one-on-one. So I think you're going to see him have a really good bounce back year this year. And I also think Collins is going to be really solid as well. Because I think with the uh, emergence of Cam Curl and, uh, you know, the additions of Bobby McCain and to some extent, Derek Force, I don't know how much of a role he'll have, but you'll see him have more of a defined role, which is when he was best in the Giants of him just being in the box, of him not having to do too much as a safety. That's when he had his all pro year and whenever that was a couple years ago. That's when you see him be the most productive is when he just just focused on being in the box and just using his uh, is a his ability as a tackler and and as and being able to drop into his drop zones and stuff like that to be a, an effective uh, strong safety. So I think that's, you might see a reemergence of Landon Collins as a solid safety this year. Yeah, he's definitely the, the probably the most interesting piece or talking point when it comes to that defense, just because like Ian mentioned, Connor and, and Jake mentioned, man, Cam Crow really did take his spot. I mean, as respectful as I can say that, he definitely took his job. <laughs> he definitely outperformed him. Uh, and so that's why it's it's interesting to see what they're going to do. It doesn't make it, you know, it doesn't help the situation that Collins makes that much uh, that much money as well. Um, so, I mean, it's it's definitely a tough spot, and I definitely agree with you. I definitely think Matt's going to have the bigger impact. Uh, now, an interesting thing to see is going to be how are they going to split up this playing time? Uh, Duran played really well last year. Jonathan Allen played really well last year. Uh, so, I mean, I, would, I'm, I can't wait to see that as well. Uh, continuing with this defense, though, I'm going to go ahead and talk about a little bit about my guy, Benjamin St. Juice, uh, a guy that a lot of t- a lot of Washington football team fans hated whenever he was selected. Uh, I was fine with the pick. I was shocked. I didn't think they'd take a big corner like that. Uh, and the third round, I wasn't thinking it, but I-, I was pretty excited with the pick. And I mean, he shined throughout the early portions of the off season. Uh, 
if he continues to trend upwards, in my opinion, I think they have to start him. Uh, friend of the show, Mark Bullock, my guy, went ahead and wrote a piece saying about how you can kind of move, you know, guys like Kendall Fuller uh, to play kind of that deep safety role, that cover two role, move him to free safety and, you know, elect to put Cam Crow in the slot or put, you know, um, Benjamin St. Juice on the outside. I would love to see that. I think if Benjamin St. Juice continues to trend upwards and continues to play well, I think you do play him. I don't, I don't really care. And I think Ron would also play him at these He's shown the ability to, to, you know, have a lot of confidence in young guys and play them, not necessarily throw them into the fire, but he's given them playing time. If you, you know, if you're, if you're worthy, if you've, if you've been playing well and practicing hard, you're going to play. And so I think the same thing with Benjamin St. Juice. Um, yeah. You might need to, you know, you know, temper a little bit with your, with your, uh, with your personnel kind of move guys around and stuff like that. But I'm all for just playing the best players, the best 11 on the field, no matter what. Uh, and if they can do it in a, in a, in a specific role, and you have the, you know, the defense, the personnel, the, the the matchups to go go ahead and do that, then by all means, you know, go do it. So I'd like to hear what y'all have to say. You know, if Benjamin St. Juice continues to trend upwards, what do y'all think Washington should do with him? Uh, what should they do with Kendall Fuller and Cam Curl? What, what, what's what's kind of like the best scenario there that, that y'all can see? Yeah, so um, kind of funny. I um, So I live about eight minutes away from uh... – formerly Redskins Park, but but the uh, training facility. And so it's funny, I, I run into guys all the time. Like I run into Tim Settle at my neighborhood grocery store. I run into John all the time. Like these guys are just everywhere. And it was maybe three or four days ago, I actually ran into to Benjamin St. Juice. I was at a giant or something. Um, apparently, I do a lot of grocery shopping. Uh, but uh, regardless, <laughs> I ran into him and uh, I immediately, you know, I, I recognize him because we, you know, we've covered him. We, I, we study the draft. We, we love this team. We're always talking about him and recognize him immediately. And I, you know, I'm a tall guy myself, but watching him walk in, you could see his length. You could just see his arms. Like he's a tall guy. He's about, I mean, six, three. I mean, and it's funny because you, you see this offseason Washington making that transition in the secondary with William Jackson's another tall guy, but Benjamin St. Juice is going to be such a fun guy to watch. I think the fan base is going to fall in love with him um, really quickly. Um, it's physical tools at six, three. I, I, you know, he's, I think he's going to be an ideal guy, at least right now in press coverage situations. I think he'll thrive well outside being physical and, and, and getting up and physical with guys. Um, Obviously, the speed of the NFL is a big thing that players adjust to. Uh, to be completely honest with you, I struggle so bad in grading corners and kind of understanding corners, their transition from college to the NFL. This is stuff that Ian knows really, really well. Um, I had him on my podcast as well, and he's great with breaking this stuff down. So he's a guy who give you a great answer here. But to be honest with you, I see him as being kind of a press guy. I see him as being a guy that's going to be physical outside. I think you can use him in, in one-on-one situations, um, you know, as goal line packages. Um, but I think as he grows, I think this, this, uh, training camp is going to be big for him. Um, and look, you've seen what Washington's been able to do with third round picks. It just Antonio Gibson and, and Terry McLaurin are two great examples of that. Uh, but the reality is, is I think that this training camp is going to be big for him. Um, going up against guys like Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin are, are, are great training um, guys to, to, to go against and, and, to, and to grow. But I think as his knowledge um, continues to grow and his understanding of the game grows, I think his physical attributes are going to match it. Um, and I do think that he's going to really end up being a nice um, outside coverage guy. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him expand um, his game beyond that. But definitely, I think this training camp is going to be big for him. Um, and I'm excited to see what he'll become for sure.
Yeah, I'll go. I'm not sure. I, I forgot the order. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to go after Connor for this one. No, but I'll good, go. <laughs> I'll go. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, to piggyback off of that, and thank you, Connor, for the compliment. I'm still trying to, admittedly, I'm still trying to, you know, you're always learning more with draft evaluation. It's never a finished process, but um, cornerbacks are very interesting with how they translate because, like you said, the pace is faster and they're different styled guys. And I had the opportunity to go to the uh, Senior Bowl this past year, and uh, St. Juice was there. And uh, he was playing. I can't remember which team he was on, uh, but we got a good, a, a good snippet at his skill set. And like we've said, you know, he, he's big. He's six foot three. He's big and he's long. And he's actually got pretty good speed for his size. I think he ran a four or five something. And then also, it's weird because his athletic profile. You look at it. He's not the most explosive guy. But one thing that's really important for cornerbacks, the ability to change directions on a dime. You know, if a, if a receiver does a double move and gets past you, you really need to be able to flip your hips and just go right with them and flow into that transition. And he's a very fluid corner. Uh, his three cone time, I think, was like six, seven, which is insane for a six foot three corner. Uh, that's better than a lot of guys who are, you know, six foot, six one. Uh, so for his size, he's very fluid and he changes directions very easily. And then on top of that, with his length, he's pretty aggressive. He's pretty smart. He knows how to use his length. And like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head when you brought up press coverage, because looking at the addition of St. Juice and the addition of William Jackson III, that seems like something if they were to rotate Kendall Fuller into the slot into safety, move him around a little bit, Jackson and St. Juice, those guys on the boundaries are both very good press corners, or at least St. Juice profiles is a very good press corner. We have to see how he translates to the NFL. We know Jackson is. And having that press, complementing a pass rush that can impact the quarterback very quickly. That's a great equation with which to potentially suffocate an offense because, you know, let's say the rush does get to the quarterback in under two seconds, the quarterback's looking at his boundary options and they're getting pressed. Their routes are disrupted at the stems and they can't get open. The quarterback is in a shell. He's in a, he's kind of in a pickle. He can't get out of that. So kind of suffocating the, the quarterback in the pocket, I think press coverage complementing that pass rush, which, Washington now has a devastating pass rush potentially on paper as long as everyone stays healthy. That's a great equation. And, and me personally, when they originally picked St. Juice, I wasn't super excited just because I thought it was a little too high for him. Uh, but I, I warmed up to it later on because you realize what they're planning for that. I think he's a great fit on the boundary and he complements their pass rush very well. And again, he does have that upside with his size and his cornering ability. Uh, it's, it's rare. Uh, he's not an elite athlete. Uh, his long speed isn't great. And then again, his explosiveness, you know, some guys can, can accelerate quicker, but having that fluidity and that ability to recover quickly at his size is going to be very valuable, especially when he's jamming guys to the line. So I really like how he fits in that aspect. Yeah, I think like Ian said, I think we're going to see him being used uh, with the addition of William Jackson as more of a press man corner. I think that's something that Jack Del Rio wants to transition more into to complement the pass rush that he has. And I also think it's worth noting that he was a willing tackler from what I watched when he was in college. So I think he can be pretty versatile too, along with Kendall Fuller to be moved to safety. Sometimes I know Jack Del Rio said that wasn't what he was going to plan, but at some in some packages or be moved to the to be the nickel corner on some position. I think he has some positional flexibility as well with his ability to change directions and his willingness as a tackler. So I think if he keeps emerging, I think it's just going to be another piece to add to the secondary because you add that to Kendall Fuller, William Jackson. I thought Jimmy Moreland was had a really underrated good season last year. So, I mean, that gives you four solid corners. And that, I mean, you can you combine that with the pass rush they have and their safeties aren't terrible. So, I mean, I think you, you're really going to have a, a, a solid marriage between the pass coverage and pass rush because that's a huge debate what's more important than pass coverage or pass rush and I think 
Washington sets up well to have both. So I think if you have the emergence of Benjamin St. Juice, you're just going to have a really, really solid defense if he continues to emerge. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to pick back up with you, Jacob, uh, with this next topic. But before we get into that, a couple of things. Connor, don't feel bad about the whole grading stuff. I'm the idiot that had Kate Johnson as, as a third-round grade. And, dude, I don't even think he went drafted. Uh, I, I thought I thought Kate Johnson was like, man, third-rounder, surefire. I thought Elijah Molden was like a second-round pick. You know what I mean? And, and look, I, I struggle with the two, man. I'm, I'm kind of doo-doo at the at – the, putting the 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 like the grades on them as well i just know the pro i just know what they're good at what they're not good at man once you do all that that grading stuff and the rounds and all that man i'll be i'll be i mess up all the time so dame you'll never see anybody <laughs> go back and delete a tweet faster than when i was tweeting about how i didn't like dk metcalf i mean last <laughs> year i couldn't have gone back on my feed and scroll faster to go find that and delete that i mean i again i know i don't know anything i'm talking about that's you know that's why i'm always love talking with, with you guys i, I love talking with with uh, Ian uh, Jacob Kamaker is also great with the draft as well. So many uh, Matt Valdivinos you had on your show as well. Great with the draft as well. He's good people. But um, yeah, any compliment I give to Ian, he usually pays me for. Uh, my Venmo hasn't gone through this week. So Ian, you still owe me, but uh, always got to give a shout out to, to Ian on the draft stuff. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's on the docket, man. It's on the docket. But no, I, I, I have those too. I have those too. We did some videos at PFN, uh, I think mock drafts. And every time Trill Williams from Syracuse dropped around three, I was like, gotta get this guy man and I, you know he was coming off an injury and i think i think there were some issues with like the coaching staff kind of talking bad about i i don't know what it was but he ended up going undrafted and i was like oh man like this is gonna be tough, <laughs> and tough delete to those articles. Bro. yeah but uh, yeah it, it happens to everyone the the real key is just learning about it. but you're never gonna be perfect so there's always gonna be guys who are you know the, the perception is different between the nfl and you know analysts on the outside it's just the way it is uh, that's the beauty of it yeah, man, that K Johnson would hurt me right in the heart, man. Because K Johnson, I was like, man, me and K Johnson came up together, man. Like that was one of the first people I w- I watched. And I was like, man, this dude's good. I saw a Senior Bowl tape. He was just killing everybody. I was like, man, that like, this dude, he's a little bit older, but man, Terry McLaurin was about thirty when he got drafted. And look at him, you know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, <laughs> we collectively as Washington fans, we collectively did this with Thaddeus Moss. Do you remember how many people wanted oh, him in like goodness. the second round? And it's just like. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's like you know. I think I think that is one of those great examples where we all realized it's it's that's literally why we are not being paid by the NFL to scout. That's <laughs> why. That back in 2019, when Washington drafted Terry McLaurin, I remember I was so mad because they didn't take Kelvin Harmon. And I'm a big NC State fan, and I was like, "What? They ain't take Kelvin Harmon? Are you serious?" <laughs> And then they got him in the sixth round the next day, and I was convinced. I was like, yeah, they got the better one. They got the better receiver. Yeah, so offensively, we're talking about the offense right now. You know, we see a lot of expectations being placed on the shoulders of Ryan Fitzpatrick. So where do y'all stand on the confidence meter from one to ten? Are you anticipating him to potentially be benched in a game? Uh, or do you believe this is going to be, you know, a different quarterback entering 2021? And I'm going to go ahead and start with Jacob on this one. Yeah, I'd say my confidence level is about a six. I'm a little bit more than 50% confident, I, I guess. I mean, I still think to a certain extent you're going to see the same Fitzmagic experience. Like, one game he's going to look amazing. The next game you're going to be like, oh, gosh, what are you what are you doing, man? But then – um, so I think there's going to be a couple games where he does get benched for Heineke. I think that's the value of Heineke is he can come in and, you know, at least be, still be competitive as a backup. I think there will be a couple games. But I still think Fitzpatrick is going to start most of the games this year, if not all. 
I just don't have a ton of confidence in him because, I mean, he's been in the NFL for 17 years, and he is kind of is who he is at this point, even though he was a little bit better with the Dolphins last year to a certain extent. But I still think you're going to see about the same experience. But it's still going to be a lot better than what they had in 2020. And go ahead, uh, Connor, and then Ian, uh, go ahead and touch on that as well. Yeah, so, um, I, I, look, I, I think um, – I think Ryan's gonna be a lot of fun. I think fans are gonna love him and they're gonna hate him, but I think the whole process is gonna be really fun because I think what Ryan gives you is something we haven't had in a while. And I think that's kind of like a true gunslinger, right? It's just a guy that just throws the pigskin around, just takes some chances. And I think his his value is actually going to be opening up that playbook and being able to give Terry McLaurin some real genuine shots downfield. Look, I mean, you go back, look. Colt McCoy didn't really have the arm strength to get the ball downfield. Dwayne Haskins clearly didn't have the understanding of the offense. Alex Smith was physically just not able to run an NFL offense the way that, you know, Scott Turner wanted it to be run. So I think for better or worse, you're going to get those 480 yard, five touchdown games. You're going to get the 200 yard, five interception games. I mean, it's a part of the roller coaster, but I think what you're going to see the value in him is going to be opening up that playbook downfield. You'll get Curtis Samuel downfield. We'll get Terry McLaurin on some big deep bombs. And I think it's, they're going to give guys a chance to grow, right? I mean, that's the, your best chance of, of learning what your young guys can do is expanding that playbook. It's getting Terry downfield. It's opening up what, what the, the offense is capable of doing. I think the question of, you know, is he going to start every game? Is he going to get benched? I think it's going to come down to how Taylor Heineke performs during training camp, right? I think you're going to see a lot of great competition. I think Ron learned his lesson. I remember him saying, I think it was to Grant and Danny on 106.7 The Fan. I think he said one of his big regrets last offseason was that he didn't really make it a real quarterback competition, right? It was Dwayne Haskins was kind of just handed the keys. Um, obviously hindsight's 2020, but that didn't benefit anybody. So I think for him, I think he's coming in with a new mindset. And I, and I do think that he's going to be looking at Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke as guys that can come in in the middle of the year. If they are on kind of a similar path of last year, maybe by week 10 or week 11, Hey, this is a playoff possibility. This is, this is a team that if we can kind of scrape together three or four more wins and Heineke gives us a better chance, maybe he steps in, but I think it's a win-win regardless. Look, you get him for one year. He's on his ninth team. I mean, what does he have to lose? Just chuck the ball around, um, see how these young guys can grow, have some fun. I think it's going to be – honestly, I think it's going to be fun. I'm all in for the ride, baby. Let's let's grab a ticket. <laughs> yeah, that, that that sentiment kind of um, – that segues well into what I was going to say. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a quintessentially, you know, authentically Ryan Fitzpatrick experience. Uh, you know, you got the Fitz magic and you got the Fitz tragic. And you always have – more than enough of it for every year. I mean, he's a volatile quarterback. It is what it is. Even when he was a good starter for the Jets, like that one year that he had, I think, 31 touchdowns, he, he was still volatile. You know, that's what he's going to be. And especially at this point of his career, he's starting to enter the twilight. Uh, you know, it, even though he's in a good situation, it's a good. I think it's a, it's a good problem to have, though, with Fitzpatrick because as opposed to the guys from last year, uh, Fitzpatrick has that, you know, he has that reputation. He has that you know, pass that you can kind of rely on and say like, Hey, I've actually like, I've started games and I can provide you competent quarterback play. Even if it's, even if it is a little volatile, like I have experience, I can at least keep you in the, in the, in the picture. I can keep you competitive. Um, at the same time though, I don't think they should be married to him. I don't think he should, I don't think he's entitled to the starting job. I think that if Taylor Heineke does continue to play well in training camp, I think you've got to give him a shot at taking that job, honestly, because with Fitzpatrick, he's only here for a year. He's definitely not your long-term option. And if he's already volatile, if he is honestly like down the road, we see that he's provide, you know, he's more of a hindrance than a help. 
then maybe you should make a change because honestly, Taylor Heineke, and I have to be careful how I word this because I know that Washington fans, like we've never had a franchise quarterback before. So we're trying to commit automatically to, you know, the hope of one, but uh, I do think that Heineke does have some measured upside. And we like, we saw him last year. Uh, he played very well uh, from, with limited preparation. I mean, he came in in that Carolina game and actually played well in the final stages. Then that gutsy performance against the Buccaneers, one of the best overall rosters in the NFL, uh, played very well there. And for, to this point in the offseason, all the reports have been positive. He's been accurate. Uh, and honestly, his athleticism is kind of underrated. So I wanted to bring that up, too. At his pro day for yeah. Old Dominion a few years ago, he ran a 4.62. He had a 35-inch vertical. So he's mobile and he can extend plays and he can kind of make stuff happen, you know, on the ground, he can extend plays. That was a big thing that Washington quarterbacks couldn't do last year. Dwayne Haskins, when he tried to extend plays, usually it collapsed. And then Alex Smith with his leg, obviously just couldn't do it. It just wasn't happening. Uh, so Heineke gives you that dimension more than Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he's a little younger. He's not young. I think he's 28 years old. So he's not one of those young guns, right? But there is some measured upside there enough where I'm going to say, all right, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you're kind of he's kind of a stabilizing agent for this QB room. Uh, like if if no one else steps up, at least you have Ryan Fitzpatrick. But Heineke has shown me enough to this point that I want to give him the chance because maybe maybe you know he won over the locker room. The guys loved him in that playoff game. He was gutsy. He was gritty. Uh, you know I think at the very least with the talent that he has, not a rocket arm or anything, but he was pretty accurate too. Uh, I think you got to at least give him the chance. You can't preclude him from that. And so I think that, especially like Connor said, after learning from last year, just handing the keys to Dwayne Haskins, that was not a beneficial experience for the team. Uh, this year, you have multiple guys who could feasibly compete for that starting job. So let them compete. Uh, that's what I think is ultimately the dynamic here. But with Ryan Fitzpatrick, it just it makes the, the good thing about it is that you can't, there's only a certain point you can fall. Uh, and then you can't fall below that with Fitzpatrick. He, he's volatile, you know, if it's tragic, if it's magic, but he's an experienced guy who has starting, you know, he has a lot of starts under his belt and in a, in a good situation where, which he is in with Washington, I think he can at least keep them in contention. Yeah. For me with Fitzpatrick, I mean, I don't think he's personally going to get benched in a game unless he pulls like Dwayne Haskins against the Panthers. Like he has to be that bad. Like, and, I mean, because we saw Dwayne against Arizona. We saw Dwayne against Cleveland and Dwayne against Baltimore. And I don't I don't know if, if Fitzpatrick can play that bad. And considering I know, you know, Ron handed the keys to Dwayne, you know, this, that, and the third. But those performances were pretty bad. And Dwayne didn't get benched, you know, mid-game. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm kind of like, I don't think Fitzpatrick will will play that bad to get benched. Uh, you know, I think I'm, maybe I'm, I'm I'm kind of like on that on one through one through ten, like a, like a six as well. Uh, you know, but I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, like and like Ian and Connor and Jake are saying, like, yeah, there he's definitely seasoned. He's, he's he knows what he's doing out there. Uh, he's going to take risks, and he's a gunslinger, so you got to you know take the wins with the losses on that one. But uh, I mean, it's going to be an interesting ride and something that I can't wait to see personally. And I'm I'm all for the open competition as well. If Taylor Honey comes up and, and plays well and stays healthy, I mean, why not? I mean, Fitzpatrick doesn't get paid a lot of money anyway, so I don't I don't see the the issue with with, with that either. Yeah, and Dame to, to that point, um, and and also to to Ian's point as well, I, I think a lot of this conversation is also going to circulate around what Ron Rivera is also looking for in his offense, right? Are, are we is this a 
Super Bowl caliber team that it just comes down to the quarterback play and that's the only missing piece? Or is Ron Rivera going to be looking at this as, hey, look, this is obviously not a Super Bowl roster. Maybe it's a playoff team. I don't know. But maybe he's looking for his receivers to develop. Maybe he's looking to see how his young guys like, is Terry a true, true one? I think, yes, last year he proved that. You know, how can Curtis Samuel fit in this offense? Is is uh, Antonio Gibson, is this guy of running back one? Uh, how can Scott Turner run his offense? I think those are questions that probably are more prevalent in Ron Rivera's head than rather than, you know, is the quarterback the missing piece? Because a lot of times what we talk about is, you know, are we one quarterback away? And I think for coaches, it's probably a deeper question of, hey, there's 10 questions that are before that, like my, you know, my example of can Scott Turner run his offense fully and, and development of young guys, those probably rank ahead of does the quarterback give us a chance to get to the playoffs? So I think that that's probably going to change a little bit of, um, you know, maybe the leash for Ryan Fitzpatrick is longer than it was for Dwayne Haskins, because maybe they're not looking at Ryan Fitzpatrick as the future franchise guy. Cause he's not, they're probably just looking at the rest of the offensive pieces to see how they glue. So those are things to just kind of keep in your head. Um, it's hard to know. I mean, we don't know we're, we're not kind of inside in the building each day. So we don't know, but I, I do think that those are, those are kind of questions that are probably in coaches minds that we don't usually think about. And that'll probably change the outcome. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. I agree a hundred percent, especially. Yeah. Like we look at it from this perspective, but they're inside, they're inside that building. They're looking at it from a complete other, you know, perspective that we don't even know about, you know what I mean? So I definitely agree with that. And to your point about the receivers developing, it'll segue into one of our final topics. Uh, it's going to be on the wide receivers here. I mean, there's a lot of receivers on this roster. Uh, you know, even one, a couple that Washington drafted this year and, you know, not everyone can make the, uh, the active roster. Not anyone, everyone can make the 53. I personally think they're going to keep six. Some are saying they're going to keep seven. I believe Shanahan was kept seven back in 2011 and 2010, if I'm, if my memory's correct. Uh, you know, I'm going to give y'all my six wideouts that I think are going to make the team. And I'd love to hear your own list if you have them or, you know, how you feel about mine. If you think I'm stupid, go ahead and let me know. Uh, I'm not tripping. So here's, here's going to be my list right here. Uh, I got Terry, Curtis, Diami, Dax, Cam, and Humphreys. Uh, Harmon, I don't have on there. AGG, I don't have on there. Uh, I think Cam Sims did himself a huge favor last year. Although he, you know, he didn't prove to be, you know, a wide receiver too. Uh, he did a lot of good stuff for Washington last year. Uh, and as well, when you're when you're talking about wide receivers four, five, and six, or five and six, or, or you know, five, six, seven, they gotta play special teams. And I think Cam and Dax will be willing to play special teams as well. So that's kind of where I stand. I'd love to kind of hear what y'all think about that as well. And and it doesn't really matter the order, whether it's Connor going first, Ian Jake, don't matter to me. I guess I'll go first. Um I, I certainly think the top three are locked in. You got McLaurin, Samuel, and then, of course, Diamond Brown. Those are the three locked in. I think those are probably your three starters week one, if not very soon after that. Diami Brown will enter in that conversation pretty soon. And I think Cam Sims, I think, pretty much locked up his spot with the way he played last year. I think that's a certain because, you know, he showed that when not as much attention's on him, he can be – be pretty good and there will be even less attention on this year. And I think obviously, like you said, the last two spots are down to special teams. So I went with Adam Humphreys because I think Adam Humphreys, I think an underrated thing was, is at some point in his career, he's been a punt, punt returner. And that's kind of like a really underrated need for Washington. So I think Adam Humphreys will slot in there. And then my last spot, um, I'm going to go with Kelvin Harmon just because I think him, his contested catchability might be something again, I don't really know. I'm just kind of going with my bias here as an NC State fan, to be quite honest with you, because I <laughs> think that's really up in the air. 
because I don't you hear about Antonio Gandy Golden, but and then every reporter's like, yeah, he hasn't impressed me this year. So I would think Gold Gandy Golden has the upper hand over Harmon just because he is a Rivera guy, but I'm not sure with that because he just hasn't impressed yet. So I guess I'll go with Kevin Harmon as the back end of to beat that out and Dax Mill and go to the practice squad for his rookie year. But I would keep an eye out for Dax Mill because I think he really impressed me when I was watching Zach Wilson throughout the draft process. So what a surprise, Jacob picking the NC State guy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, I, I I gotta, you know, I gotta say if I had to pick, if I had to pick Harmon or Gandy Golden to this point, I would probably pick Harmon. Uh, I, I liked Harmon a little bit better as a as a prospect. Uh, and then also it just seems like Gandy Golden really like at least Harmon when he played, you know, he's coming back from injury, so it's gonna be tough. But I, I think I think at this point in the timetable, though, he should be close to. I, I haven't been following minicamp as much with the draft stuff, so I don't know if he's back or not. Uh, but I do know that, you know, if he's healthy, he, he when he was healthy in his rookie year, he actually showed something. Gandy Golden didn't. So, you know, that kind of gives him a leg up for me. Uh, but you got to look at you got to look at the guys above him uh, to see how it settles out. I think we can all agree. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Diami Brown. That's the top three. And then I think that you can also make a pretty easy case for Cam Sims and Adam Humphreys. I think Cam Sims, I think Ron Rivera really likes Cam Sims. I mean, he came in was kind of one of those guys who needed to step up uh, when the rest of the receiving core wasn't quite, you know, doing it for them. And he really did that, especially in some big moments last year in the playoffs, he did very well. Uh, so I think that that was enough for them to, you know, they're, they're going to stick with him. He has the size, maybe has some special teams ability, but you know, beyond that, I mean, he's just a very, I think a very, you know, his, his size is a very unique trait that not many people have. And on top of that, he's shown he can use it. Uh, he's kind of trending up, you know, so I do think that he's kind of locked down a spot as long as he takes care of business in, in uh, training camp. I do think that Adam Humphreys is going to make it too. Uh, I think it's it's valuable having Humphreys in the slot because it does allow them to move Samuel and McLaurin around a little bit. Adam Humphreys is a very solid slot receiver. Kind of like you know what you're getting with him. He's not flashy. He's not spectacular. Uh, but he's a good utility guy. And I think having that veteran in there who can at least, you know, at least if, if none of the other guys are getting open, at least uh, Adam Humphreys has the ability to get open over the middle, kind of be the guy who moves the chains a little bit when you need him to. So I think that he rounds out the fifth spot. Now the sixth spot to me is probably between Dax Millen and Calvin Harmon. And honestly, it's tough. It's tough because as much as I like Harmon and I want him to kind of redeem himself here because he was a high, he was a pretty highly rated prospect in some people's eyes. I know, I know some people had as, as high as a second round grade on him. He ended up going around six, so not quite that high. But, you know, even though he's not super athletic, he's very good in contested situations, like Jacob said. And, and that much, if he's healthy, if he's showing out in training camp, uh, we know those one-on-one -on -one situations that, you know, the receivers and DBs are pitted into in training camp. It's a good opportunity for a guy like Harmon to really show out. And I, and I think that he could ride that to a roster spot. At this point, because Harmon is still coming back from the injury, I would probably lean Dax Milne just because they just drafted him. Uh, and he, again, he did impress too on tape with Zach Wilson, like Jacob said. Uh, a lot of Zach Wilson's big plays, Dax Milne was on the receiving end of it. You know, he's kind of just a tough receiver. You know, he's not super big. He's not super athletic. But again, he can get the job done. Uh, so I think that it's between them. It's close. I'm leaning Milne for now. But I do think Calvin Harmon has a definite chance to take that and kind of reemerge in the, in the Washington football team's receiving court. Yeah, and I actually agree. And I actually like your list there, um, Dame. I think the top three are, are pretty locked in. I think all three of us have that kind of consensus. You got Terry McLaurin and then that Curtis Samuel, De'Ami Brown. 
that top three. And I think Adam Humphreys is there at, at four for me. Um, I think like, like to piggyback off what, what Ian was saying, I think obviously having him as a true slot core or slot receiver, rather, I think that's, um, that's big because it allows Curtis Samuel, if you want to line him up in the backfield to do some wacky plays. I know Scott Turner's got um, the, the gears turning there with ideas for Curtis Samuel. So that opens up your offense even more. Um, I think I would put, I think Cam Sims and I think Dax Milne. See, here's the thing. It really just comes down to me between kind of Cam Sims, Kelvin Harmon as your kind of big guy. I mean, I guess I'm just, I have PTSD from just how many times Cam Sims was waived, signed, practice squad, active roster, signed. I can't, I can't, I think that guy is, I think he might set the record for the most times he was waived by a team. Um, and then re-signed by a team. So we just don't know. I mean, you saw some great uh, moments from Cam Sims uh, last year. You also saw a couple drops from him that were just mind-boggling against the Panthers. I know a couple came to mind that were just like, what are we doing here? Um, yeah. But he's got some some great skill, obviously, and he's shown that he can fit into the system well. Um, look, Calvin Harmon just comes down to how he comes back. I mean, look, you've seen receivers go one or two ways with big knee injuries, right? You've seen them come back and um, find a way to either regain their speed or, or redevelop their game, and you've seen guys who just simply can't do it anymore. Um, I hope that Kelvin is is the guy that kind of can can regain that speed, and I think, as Ian said, his speed wasn't necessarily his big thing. He's a physical, contested catch kind of guy. Um, if you watch any film on Antonio Gandy-Golden, um, there were just times last year he genuinely just looked really lost like he just he really didn't give the team anything at all last year so if he can come back and prove something um that's one thing but um i do think terry curtis diami i'll go adam humphreys um i'll put for the time being i'll say dax Milne because i think he'll do uh, i think yeah 510 190 i think he'll play special teams as well and i guess for right now i'm gonna say calvin Harmon. Um, just because I do think that he, if, if if like he was back healthy and he can come back and show what he had before the injury, I do think he is a little more consistent um, than Cam Sims. But if that's not the case, come training camp, I think Cam Sims will be there at six. So um, it'll be fun to watch. We'll keep tabs on that for sure. Yeah, yeah. And before we move on, one guy, if if like let's say there's a big sleeper, I don't think there are many big sleeper candidates in this group this year. And I think you know, especially in, in years past, the, the receiving group hasn't had much depth which has contributed to us like picking out these sleepers who might emerge. Uh, but this year with Diami Brown, with Humphreys, with Samuel, with McLaurin uh, and with Sims, like th that's pretty locked up. That's top five. Right. So it's, there's not a lot of room for guys to emerge, but if there is a guy uh, going to be a surprise guy, I would be looking at Deandre Carter. Uh, he's a, uh, he entered the league in 2015. He's he kind of bounced around a little bit, but he's stuck around since then. And because he's a return man, he's a good return man. Uh, he, I think he ran a 4-4-4 at his pro day, had a 38-and-a-half-inch vertical. So pretty explosive, pretty fast. And in that training camp setting where, you know, you want guys to stand out if they get special teams opportunities, he's another guy who maybe potentially gets in. Yeah, that's actually a good point as well. I feel like a lot of people, including myself, actually have slept on that, uh, on that possibility as well, especially, you know, mentioning how that, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, a lot of those guys are going to have to look at to play special teams uh, you know, whether it's on, on the, on the pump return or on, on kickoff, whatever it is. So that's a, that's a very valid point uh, for sure. And I think what we're going to end on in this one, I, I can't let y'all go without this final question. I've asked all my guests, except for Deron Pinks. I don't want him to throw his teammate under the bus. You know what I'm saying? They're, they would have, <laughs> they would have killed me for that. But uh, with Brendan Sheriff's future up in the air, if you were the GM of the Washington football team, what would y'all do? Would y'all extend him? Would you trade him? Would you let him walk? What would y'all do 
and and go ahead. Uh, you know, whoever wants to go first, go ahead. I would probably trade him. Honestly, I'm bring, I would probably trade him. And now this might be that I'm overconfident in my ability to find a replacement via the draft. Uh, so I'll just throw that out there. But I do think, you know, he, he's heading in, he's coming off a torn labrum, I think, and he's going to be 30 soon. Uh, and he's getting, uh, if you were to re-sign him to a long-term deal, many, most of those years of that deal would be in his 30s, uh, which is kind of like offensive linemen can play longer. Some of them do play longer. I know Andrew Whitworth is like 44 or something. Not, not that <laughs> old, but he's like, he's like 39. Yeah, he's got like white, yeah. white hair by now. So yeah, it yeah, can yeah. happen, right? But he's coming off an injury, that torn labrum, where, you know, that could impact his ability to kind of impose his power in the interior line. Uh, and, and, you know, with the, the high rate of money, the high rate of value that he'd be commanding with a long-term deal, honestly, with how old he is, like he, he's getting up there and coming off an injury, I would probably steer away from that uncertainty and, you know, just kind of err on the side of, I think we can find a viable guy in the draft, trust our coach's ability to develop young talent. Um, and also, I mean, you, I think you already have a lot of guards, right? You traded for Eric Flowers. You have Sadiq Charles who translates well there. I don't think you have to stick with Sheriff as good as he is, as good as he is when he's healthy. Uh, long-term, I think there are enough questions where I would probably just try and get compensation for him, get that draft asset and recoup that value with a potential starter on the interior in the draft. There are a few guys that I like to this point, but it's tough to see where guys are going to go. So I, I won't bring up any names. Uh, well, actually I'll bring up one because I know Jacob will appreciate this. I can Equanu, NC state offensive lineman. He's a beast. Uh, so, but you know, there, there are candidates to do that. But looking at the overall value, just looking at, you know, Sheriff, he's getting older. He's coming off an injury. He's going to be very expensive if they do re-sign him. I would rather just get a draft pick and, and move on. Yeah, go ahead, Jake. Go ahead and hit on that. Yeah, I, I've um, I've been on the train that I think that they should still try to work out a deal because I don't, I don't really believe in letting all – I mean, he was a first-team all-pro last year whatever you want to say out of the voters, maybe if you don't think he deserved that or not. But, I mean, he is one of the best guards in football if you take Quentin Nelson, Zach Martin, and then it's probably Brandon Scherf, I mean, whichever one you want to put in there. I don't agree with letting those type of players walk because I think they're really hard to replace, even though he is 30. I think he still can't play into about his mid-30s. So I would try to work out a deal, and at the very worst, I would just let him play this deal out and then let him get a big deal in free agency because then you're getting the comp pick potentially back – back and then I think that's about the same you'll get a third round pick or fourth round pick that's about what I think you get from him in the trade market anyways I don't know how much somebody would trade for like a one-year 18 million dollar deal for a guard so I think it's about what you're going to get for him so I would just kind of let it play out this year try to work out a deal if it doesn't work out then you just let him go next year or try to work it out again next offseason I don't really think you should try to trade him because I think you're going to get about the same deal you would get for a comp pick as if you would just trade him outright, unless you got like a second, then maybe I consider it, but I don't think you're going to get a second for Brandon Scherf. Yeah. I mean, and, and this conversation is a classic example of what I want and what I just can't have. Right. It's just like, you know, <laughs> it's the same thing. Like, what do I want for dinner? I want eight McDoubles. Can I have that and live till 30? No, right. like I can't. Right. But this is kind of that conversation where it's like this is it's always frustrating because we've seen this team, you know, do it before with like Kirk Cousins and dragging your feet, not getting him into a long term deal. And then you end up in a situation where the franchise tag debt spiral, you know, you can't get out of it now. Um, 
I look, would I like them to work out a long-term deal? Absolutely. Like Brandon Sheriff is that all pro mauler offensive lineman other than Trent Williams that, you know, we haven't had. And, and it's, it's um, that interior guy that just is, is always a mainstay, obviously injury concerns and age start to become, you know, a thing in the next few years. But I think with the, with next year's cap space, that is obviously going to grow. Um, I think it's going to grow pretty in, in a pretty big way um, coming off of COVID. Um, I, I do think that that market is just going to be something that this team can't afford. Uh, and unfortunately that's, you know, when you've, you've got John Allen that you'll be signing to a long-term deal, hopefully before training camp, you get to Ron Payne. Then again, next year, you'll try to lock him up. And then before you know it, Montez sweat and then chase young in the years after that. So you've got contracts that you're going to have to start maneuvering. Um, and I, I, I think that with Brandon Sheriff, it's just going to be a little bit complex for them to get something done. So I think would I, would I like them to work out a long-term deal? Absolutely. I would love that to happen. Um, it would be my, my hope. And, um, but I just, I can't see it happening. I do think that their best bet is to try to rely on a trade or not, you know, if not, you, you let them walk and you try to get that comp pick, maybe a third or fourth. Um, but it's, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see. It's always a little bit frustrating when you see kind of guys like that, where you're like, man, if we had tried to jump ahead of this by maybe just a year, tried to lock him up, um, we could try to get out ahead of this, but um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's always kind of a tough conversation to have, but you know, each team has to do the juggling act with their cap space. And I think Washington, unfortunately, um, I, th I think Brandon Sheriff's going to end up being a casualty of, of not being able to really lock him up and not being able to afford him. So that's probably what I would do is look for a trade. But uh, I, I think his time in Washington ends after 2021. Yeah, I agree. And I'm in the same boat too. It's kind of like if the price tag was, was, you know, 12 to 14 million, I don't think many people are arguing about this, but $18 million, you know what I mean? Like 18, 19, like it's going to, it's, you know, I, I just, it's really tough to see that. And, I personally would, yeah, I would look for the trade as well. Um, you know, if you end up getting that comp pick, okay, that's cool too. Uh, but yeah, I just don't, I just, I personally couldn't. Uh, I don't think it's smart to pay someone that, you know, at that position, that kind of money. But I definitely see where Jake's coming from, especially with like, you don't let all poor players go. And that's kind of the same thing Mark Bullock was telling me was, hey, you don't let that kind of talent just walk out the door. So I could definitely see both sides of it for sure. Uh, but I would definitely lean uh, towards trading them just because, Man, I don't know, man. 18, 19. I know it's not my money, but damn, man, that's that's a lot, a lot of money to spend for a guard. You know what I mean? It's a uh, lot of McDoubles. Yeah, it's a lot of McDoubles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that's a pretty fair spot to land, boys. Uh, as we wrap up the sixth episode, uh, I want y'all to go ahead and plug your handles and the projects that you have going on right now. Uh, we could start with Connor, uh, Jacob, and then Ian. Yeah, uh, it's just so awesome to be on with you, Damien. This is just so much fun. Um, always good to talk with Jacob and Ian. They're just the best. Um, yeah, so uh, after further review podcast with Connor Forrest, that is uh, my podcast. All jokes aside, it's so much fun. Uh, we love it. I do it with my executive producer, Sean Olette. Um, we do it each week, uh, Tuesday nights. But wherever you get podcasts at Apple, it's, you know, we, we are on Odyssey app or on Spotify, Google Play. Um, it's after further review. It's so much fun. Again, we had Grant Paulson on last week. I've had Ian uh, on the podcast as well and, and Jacob for draft stuff, but it's just a lot of fun, a lot of, a lot of just fun talk and, and we dive into the NFL. Um, and again, it's Connor force underscore on Twitter. Give us a follow. Um, not really saying much of interesting stuff, but uh, you, you shoot me a follow and uh, I'll be there. You'll be able to catch me and, and uh, all the nonsense I'm always up to. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter. Like I said before at JP Troutman 2020 for, you know, mediocre takes on the Washington football team. And also right now the college <laughs> state in the college world series, follow me for mediocre takes there, read my stuff on Rigo's rag, 
and you can find all that stuff um on my twitter handle also you can follow my instagram at jacob underscore trotman 20 again that's where i post mediocre takes about washington stuff like that find me more personal stuff there i'd love to follow all the follows from all of you and again thanks for having me on damon you know it in my introductory of to the podcast world hope i did hope i didn't disappoint <laughs> no no that was it was lit brother yeah, you gotta give yourself more credit, Jacob. We we have the best. Rio's Rag has the best JP on Washington Twitter. I'm saying that now. JP Finlay's got Facts. nothing on him. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, we got to get you to 100 followers pronto. I didn't even know yeah, you were facts. under that. We got we got to make sure that <laughs> happens. But yeah, yeah. Um, as as for my account, you can follow me at Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine. Uh, you know, I'll post Rigo's Rag stuff occasionally. I've gotten a little lazy on that front. I got to start writing a little more about Washington. But and then draft stuff, too. I've got draft profiles coming in every week, uh, three or four. Should get an uptick here because this semester I only have one class as opposed to two. So I'll have a little bit more time. But the, yeah, for draft stuff, Washington stuff and uh, general uh, tomfoolery, you can follow me there. Yeah, thank you all for joining me. I truly appreciate it and thoroughly enjoyed this time for sure. Uh for the listeners, go ahead and follow me at Dame Dropback, uh, at D-A-M-E, Dropback. You already know how to spell that as well. Holler at me. Subscribe to the pod. Uh, check out all my articles. I'm doing a lot of NBA draft stuff right now. I've kind of been slacking a little bit on the Washington football team stuff as well, uh, but I, I, I write a lot for a lot of different sports, so it's kind of hard to you know allocate time here and there. But just holler at me. I'm always down to talk whatever y'all want to talk about. So with that being said, I'll see y'all next time. Peace.